Annenberg Media. This is the Annenberg Learner Podcast, where we aim to elevate the education profession through conversations that inspire, recognize, and encourage innovation and best practices in the field. We track the lived experience of teachers, students, and parents alongside the ecosystem that serves them. Guest speakers will share what's working and the steps we can take to reimagine and redesign teaching and learning for our most vulnerable populations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Annenberg Learner Podcast. With me today is Renata Simrel, President and CEO of the LA84 Foundation. Really excited to have you on the podcast today. Renata Simrel is the President and CEO of the LA84 Foundation, the youth-serving organization committed to transforming the lives of youth in Southern California through sports and play programs as well as through ongoing investments in infrastructure, research, and education as a legacy of the 1984 Summer Olympics. Since her appointment in 2016, she has positioned the foundation as a national leader in the role that sports have in positive youth development. She has expanded the foundation's mission in vital ways by focusing its work on supporting childhood health, social-emotional development, and community well-being. By collaborating with corporate partners, sports organizations, civic institutions, and philanthropy, Simrel has brought new resources to communities to remove barriers to access to sports and play for children. Inspired by the many organizations working to improve the lives of youth, Simrel founded the Play Equity Movement to drive meaningful change. This gave rise to the Play Equity Fund, the LA84 Foundation's charitable partner focused nationally on play equity as a social justice issue and building access for kids from all backgrounds to play. Simrel has a long-standing commitment to leadership and service with more than 25 years of diverse experience, including a background in government, business, publishing, and pro sports. A third-generation Angelina who grew up in Carson, Simrel is actively engaged in civic and community service in a variety of roles, including serving on the boards of the United Way of Greater Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Sports Entertainment Commission, and the Los Angeles Dodgers Foundation. She also serves on the ESPN Return to Play Advisory Council and the Play Coalition, national efforts focused on addressing the play equity gap. Simrel earned a bachelor's degree in urban studies from Loyola Marymount University and a master's in real estate development from USC. She currently resides in Studio City with her husband and two sons. Welcome, Renata. Hey, Nancy. Thank you. Um, wow. <laughs> Thank you for that kind introduction. Thank you. Well, it's such an honor to have you here today. I'd love to start by really diving into the Play Equity Fund and what that is and how that came about. So when I took over the foundation in uh, 2016, um, you really reflected on the great work that the L84 Foundation had been doing to support um, the ecosystem of sport-based youth development organizations. You know, those on the ground, engaging young people in sport playing movement to help create uh, lifelong well-being, health and uh, mental health, physical health, but also in helping them create pathways to success in life. But it was very clear to me that despite our efforts over 30 years at that time, the gap between young people who had access to sport play and movement uh, in schools, in communities, and those who hadn't had grown uh, quite um, precipitously and that despite uh, our managing a small surplus from the 1984 Olympic Games, there were more resources that needed to be provided to those communities. And I also discovered that 
philanthropy like um, health and wellness philanthropy, education philanthropy, didn't see uh, their work um, around health and wellness and education um, in our work. Um, they thought sport as something different. Hmm. And then public uh, resources, you know, hadn't really prioritized sport play and movement, most notably in schools. PE is, fun- is, uh, is an unfunded mandate at the state. Maybe schools provide PE one to two days a week. Recess is a challenge. And many schools uh, don't have after-school sports programs like they once had when I was growing up. And then uh, the budget crisis that school districts across this country face, sports is the first to go, high school athletics. And, you know, when you look at the, the, the data uh, in LAUSD, as an example, you know, more than 50% of young people, many of them black and brown um, youth, uh, are struggling with obesity. Uh, type 2 diabetes is rampant. Stress and anxiety of Black and Latino Latinx kids are two times the national average. As we started to look at the data and look at the lack of resources, um, and more importantly, the lack of priority that was put on sport play and movement, uh, we, know, we knew we needed to do um, more um, to double down on the work that the foundation has done. Um, and then listening to our um, community organizations on the ground, um, you know, it was clear to me that we needed to have an organization that didn't compete with the grantees that we were funding, but really served as a uh, conduit, as a, a backbone infrastructure to really bring the various voices of the sport-based youth development ecosystem to help elevate and lift up the voices of those on the grounds doing work, number one. Number two is elevate and recenter the important role that sport play and movement has to hold child development, mental health, social emotional learning, academics, a sense of community, you know, having a coach mentor, um, and then unlocking resources um, through private philanthropy that hadn't heretofore seen sport-based youth development as a positive youth development tool, and then certainly advocating for more public funding um, and meeting kids where they are. You know, and one of those areas that we're focusing on is the county and the state, um, but most uh, both community organizations, but also school-based funding. That was the motivation for the Play Equity Fund. And I have to say in the four or five years that since we've launched, the response has just been tremendous. Um, and we've made some tremendous progress toward recentering sport plan movement and bringing more funding into the work that these amazing community-based organizations are doing. You can subscribe to the Annenberg Learner podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yes, that's great. There's a lot there to unpack. And um, <laughs> one thing that I did not know, so PE is unfunded? Yes. Wow. Okay. That's going to take me a minute to wrap my head around. It also reminds me that one of the first schools that I ever taught at, didn't we didn't have any kind of physical fitness class um, community where there was a high dropout rate. So we were just hyper-focused on the academics. And there was such a desire from our kids to have team sport, but that just wasn't part of the model at the time. You know, one thing that you mentioned is I, I think, and I hope that um, there's much more awareness about the importance of that for mental health and emotional well-being and health to really have that be part of the school day and after school. Have you seen that increase, whether through money or some other means because of the pandemic? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, and, you know, data is important, right? And I, I appreciate your um, narrowing in on PE as an unfunded mandate as a, as a former educator. I think it was last year, there was a New York Times survey of 362 school counselors that revealed pandemic-related losses of social-emotional learning um, continues to wreak havoc on students. 
And in that report, you know, through the counselors, that sport, play, and movement was lifted up as a key component of recentering social emotional learning, uh, getting young people to connect to um, themselves, connect to joy, and then ultimately connect to their academics. Um, so when you think about social emotional, you know, competency, what is that? That's relationship building. You know, it's being able to, you know, engage. It's you know, emotional regulation. Um, so if I'm stressed, you know, or anxious, and you know, somebody brushes against me in the in the class or a hall room, and am I going to lash out, or am I going to be able to, you know, engage in some breathing techniques to really anchor myself um, and realize that an inadvertent bump and it wasn't intentional. Um, you know, when you think about what happens when you elevate your heart rate beyond the sitting heart rate, you know, there is chemical uh, changes that are taking place in your brain that is releasing endorphins, those joyful, you know, chemicals within the brain that makes kids ready to learn. Um, And if you push kids in a class um, and they're sitting, my son, as an example, has ADHD. Um, He needs to move. Um, You know, he needs to be engaged in movement for the academics to actually connect with him. The data exists in terms of the critical importance that sport play and movement has just in terms of your physical and mental health. But once you're, you know, you're centered in those things, only then are kids ready to really uh, embrace um, the academics. And so that's the work that the Play Equity Fund is doing is really, um, you know, being the Pied Piper of the connections that sport has to physical and mental health, social and emotional well-being, um, but also to academics. And it's not a an and. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's not an or, it's an and. And part of the challenge that I, we also see is the school day is not structured. You know, it's a time-based, um, you know, environment for kids. And it's not st- structured to allow for play. But the play that we see that has benefit, it's not a lot of time. You know, it's a five-minute break. It's a 10-minute break. You know, it's actually letting kids run on the playground, f- playground at lunchtime for 30 minutes and the benefits, you know, will engender themselves. And so, um, you know, that's the work that we're doing. You can get me talking about data and the importance of sport plan movement, you know, all day long, but it is, you know, the work that we're about, because I think you first have to value that thing before you see the value in funding it. And so that's the work that we're doing is trying to shift mindsets to to get people to see the importance of the work that uh, many of the organizations that we support are doing. That's great. And um, I know that one of the programs that we're going to talk about here today is came out of the play equity fund, which is the college football playoff legacy program Mm -hmm. champions educate here. Can you tell us about this program and why it matters? Sure. Um, Just a little bit of background. Los Angeles, um, I believe is the sport capital of the world. Um, You know, we have 12 professional sports teams, the collegiate, you know, universities that we have that are powerhouses, UCLA, USC, and, you know, LMU is doing pretty good in basketball, um, you know, this year as well. There are a number of major sporting events that come to Los Angeles, and we've had, you know, over a dozen, or we'll have over a dozen between, um, you know, b- between 2016 and, and 2028, when the Olympics come back to Los Angeles. And a colleague of mine, Kathy Sloshman at the Los Angeles Sports Entertainment Commission that bids on these major sporting events, you know, wanted to make sure we were deepening the social impact and the legacy that those major sporting events um, left in the college football playoff was the most recent. And so she's partnered with the Play Equity Fund and the L84 Foundation to come up with what should be the legacy, the social impact of that major sporting event. And the College Football Playoff Foundation um, really focused on educators. That is their, their lane. And how do we lift up 
and support educators in the classroom um, doing the work every day to um, help build pathways and educate our young people. And our focus is purely on sport play and movement. And so for this legacy, we decided to flip the script a little bit and recognize educators on the playground. Um, and how are they using sport play and movement um, to bring back joy, to anchor the young people to their academics through sport play and movement? And so we recognized through a, a selection process, it was an open nomination across Southern California, you know, nominate an educator who is using sport plan movement, you know, in interesting um, and simple ways to, you know, bring the joy back to, to students and to anchor their academics and improve outcomes in the classroom. We recognized 46 educators. They were all provided with a grant to um, support their work, to expand their work. And then we did videos of 23 educators. And then we use the social platforms and media platforms of the college football playoffs of the Los Angeles Sports Entertainment Commission, um, our own social platforms to shine a light on the great work that these educators are doing um, through their work. Um, and we were so heartened that Christine Devine, uh, Channel 11, you know, actually created a program and featured um, some of the educators um, you know, on the local news. Um, and that was our goal ultimately was to lift up the great work that we know that's being uh, that's going on in our school systems and to celebrate and thank the educators for the work that they're doing, um, particularly coming out of the pandemic, yes. to really link sport plan movement to outcomes in the classroom. As part of its mission to advance excellent teaching in American schools, Annenberg Learner funds and distributes educational video programs with coordinated online and print materials for the professional development of K-12 teachers. Many programs are also intended for students in the classroom and viewers at home with videos that exemplify excellent teaching. K-12 educators, students, and lifelong learners may access Annenberg Learner resources for free at learner.org. Please note, rights restrictions may limit the availability of some series. For the latest information about learner programming and availability, sign up for the Annenberg Learner Newsletter at learner.org. Yes, thank you. Could you give us some of the highlight, like a highlight reel of some of the awardees and what were some of the initiatives that they launched or are doing with their students at their school sites? Yeah, the 23... Um of the 23 videos, so I, I read all of them, but the videos are really about storytelling, right? That's when you kind of pull at your heartstrings and you see little elementary school kids talking about how, you know, they were able to breathe and they're calm and they were all great and wonderful and impactful. But there were a couple that really stood out to me. One was um, Martha Alba Gonzalez. She's an elementary school teacher at Chavez Elementary School in Long Beach, and she introduced ballet, ballet folklore program to her students. Um, and so the dance class begins at 8 a.m., so an hour, almost an hour before school starts. Um, and it's about, you know, just teaching the cultural competency and the history be behind folklore dance. But the students, you know, actually dance and, and move and, you know, see these young kids talk about, you know, how they learned about their culture, you know, how they were um, inspired and invigorated when the school day because they spent, you know, an hour dancing before class. I mean, it just warms your heart. And the grants that we provided was up to um, $20,000. And it just warms my heart and shows the small investment to support teachers. You know, she asked for $7,800 to buy skirts for the class because that's such a critical component, you know, to the movement in folklore dance. You know, to Jason Morgan, who's a math teacher at Dominguez High School in Compton, and he actually uses a program that infuses play and movement during his math class. 
And, you know, the video, he's got, you know, kids sort of moving and it'll be stop. And then it will explain the math concept through movement. Um, and he says uh, in the video that the body is a great tool that we don't often use when it comes to learning. And he says the, the body is a learning tool that goes underutilized. You know, and his mission is to, um, you know, promote and share the experience and the benefit his students are getting and the classroom culture is getting from including play and movement um, in his classroom. And then there was one, um, uh, Daisy, um, and this was an interesting story, and it just goes to the history of the LA84 Foundation's impact. So Daisy is an educator, uh, middle school, and unbeknownst to us, she was actually an LA84 beneficiary. So when she was growing up in East LA, um, she says, you know, she, she didn't, we didn't do a video, we did a video of, of Daisy, but she said to this to me offline is that she was not going down the right path. Um, and struggling to sort of find a po her positive way through life. Uh, and she happened to come across a boxing program that we funded. And that boxing program and the coach and the environment that she was included in changed the trajectory of her life. She ended up going to college, became a, uh, an educator, and somebody nominated her because she created a boxing program in her middle school. Um, and it was a full circle moment for us that unbeknownst to us in LA84, you know, grantee is going on to continue to impact the community in amazing ways. And so that's just a sample of three of, um, you know, three of the, the awardees, the educators that are doing amazing things. And we were so grateful. I was personally grateful to be able to shine a light, a spotlight, and to elevate and celebrate the work that they're doing to support our kids. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those. Those are wonderful stories. Renata, can you speak to a little bit about the state of physical education today in Southern California and and how is that similar or different at a national level? Yeah, sure, um, Nati. I um, shared some of the, those demographics. We're in a crisis, and it's a crisis in some ways. It's hiding in plain sight. Um, mm -hmm. But the work that we're doing to recenter sport plan movement, I think, is starting to have some effect. Um, at least I hope so in terms of our thought leadership. JAMA Pediatrics did an investigation of decades of research around the mental health crisis as one example, and starting to point to sport plan movement as an antidote to what ills, you know, our communities, we talked about social emotional learning, we talked about physical health, but certainly the mental health crisis that we're in, is that we're just not seeing a priority put on sport plan movement, you know, recess, you know, you see recess in most elementary schools, but, you know, not necessarily the time that they need or the programs that really engage students. Uh, we're seeing, um, you know, a lack of uh, after-school sports programs uh, in public schools, particularly in BIPOC communities and poor communities. The budget cuts that school districts, you know, have faced historically, and sports is usually the first thing to get cut. PE across the country, and certainly we see this in Southern California and the state of California, is an unfunded mandate with most schools, you know, having PE one to two days a week. My own son, who was in public school, you know, had PEs on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and maybe on Fridays. Friday was only because the parents had created a nonprofit organization, Parents for Carpenter, that, you know, helped to augment what, what, what wasn't being funded, you know, through the district itself. Um, and, you, and you juxtapose the lack of opportunities um, in schools in particular um, to community. Um, parks are strained for funding. Um, I know the city of LA is facing a you know, pretty significant budget deficit. Um, and so, you know, there are lack of opportunities um, within the park systems, um, although both county and city park are doing, you know, great work to focus on uh, play equity and, and, and free and low cost programs. 
Um, and then you have barriers to park access. I think uh, the, the city of Linwood, you know, is one of the park, most park-starved areas in the country. Safe passage. I mean, I can go on and on, but it is a crisis both in terms of access and opportunities for young BIPOC uh, poorer communities to access sport, play, and movement. And when you think about um, COVID-19, coming out of COVID-19 and the health crisis and uh, the obesity crisis, the type 2 diabetes, the stress and, and, uh, and mental health issues, you know, most often Black and brown communities are two times, three times, four times more likely to experience those issues than, you know, their counterparts in more privileged part of the part of the country. So or part of the cities in this case. And so we do see it as a crisis that demands um, focus, it demands attention, and it demands, you know, funding to support our most vulnerable youth. The Annenberg Foundation is a family foundation that provides funding and support to nonprofit organizations in the U.S. and globally. The foundation is dedicated to addressing the critical issues of our time through innovation, community, compassion, and communication. To learn more, go to annenberg.org. What is your, your vision for youth sports and education and what, what does the future state look like? I would say the, um, you know, my vision for the future is that, that educators and policymakers see the value and connection between sport play and movement and academic outcomes. If I had, could wave a magic wand mm-hmm. is that we would have a fully funded PE program in every public school in the state of California, that we would have robust after-school sports programs in every school, public school in the state of California, you know, and that we would celebrate sport plan movement for the benefits that it provides to whole child development, for what it does to build individual resiliency, grit, social emotional competencies, you know, what it does to bring communities together, um, you know, we believe that sport has transformative powers to really create um, well-being. And I think at the end of the day, we all want to be in a state of well-being and find pathways to becoming our best selves in life. So that's what I hope for the future for youth sports in this country. That's great. Thank you. It reminds me, you know, when I first played sports in, I don't know, middle school, <laughs> I wasn't very good, but it did change my life. It's a like, it's totally uh, changed my love for running and all kinds of physical fitness stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I suspect you feel better after oh, you yes. work out, whether after you run. Um, and that's at the end of the day, I think it's an important point to note. Um, L84 historically has, has spoken about the work we do as youth sports. And we've really opened the aperture for people to think about sport, play and movement. And in our work over the last, you know, coming on 40 years now, you know, hasn't been about developing collegiate, professional, or Olympic athletes. If the kids that come through programs that we run, you know, go on to greatness in that thing, um, that's fine. That's wonderful. But at the end of the day, our work is about engaging youth in a structured environment that they have a coach that's trained in positive youth development, bringing out the best in in those young people, that they're able to find their tribe and a group of or community of, you know, young people, of friends, of teammates that lift them up, um, and that they're able to, in that environment, develop the life skills that help them go on to develop both physical and mental wellness, and that they ultimately are able to find a pathway to success in life, uh, more often off the field than on the field. So that's ultimately, 
you know, the work that we do. And I'm glad that you lifted up, you know, you were a, a non-competitive athlete because that's okay. Um, I was a competitive athlete in high school, um, thought I wanted to be a professional athlete, which didn't, wasn't my path in life, but it certainly um, helped to navigate my career. Um, and ultimately, I don't think I'd be the president of a foundation had it not been for sports. I'm, I'm curious if, you know, you set out a really great picture for what we want future state to be and where we're headed. Do you see any innovative models now that like either at a school site or a community site where they've really taken this on and built it as part of their school day after school programming that we could point to? That's a great, that's a great question. The answer is yes, there's, there's a number of those models that we can point to. I mean, I think the you know, 23 of the videos that we sh- that we shined a light on for the college football playoffs are you know 23 examples of you know innovative work that's being done. I would look to those and share those with you. You know, there's other examples. Um, you know, like in Oakland, the Oakland school district. You know, their ELO money that came in for expanded learning, the unprecedented funding that Governor uh, Newsom um, authored last year. You know, focused on expanded learning that could be used for after-school sports. It was an organization by the name of uh, Positive Coaching Alliance that worked with the school district to use their, you know, ELO money to create a robust after-school sports program. You know, so that's an example. Um, so there are a plethora of examples that we see of how educators, coaches, after-school providers are really standing up sport plan movement in the classroom. Uh, but what we're not seeing is that done at scale. I'll give you another example. There is a program called the Balance Bike that can be used in elementary school for curriculum. So it's, it's, a, it's a bike, but it has no pedals on it. And so it's been designed, you know, for the, um, the play element of how to, uh, for elementary school kids. And so instead of pedaling, cause you don't know how to pedal yet, you basically kick your feet, then you leg your feet up and then you, you know, you start to balance on the bike, right? Hopefully your listen, listeners can visualize this. And then as you start to develop your balance, then they have a mechanism where you can put the, the, the wheels, the, the pedals on, and then they learn to ride a bike. And there's a curriculum that the teachers are able to use within the classroom that connects to, you know, sort of the learning environment for the young people. And the program is about $5,000 um, per bike program. And that gets you, I think, 24 bikes and then a year of curriculum and support. Uh, and you know, that was one of our, um, that was one of the college football playoff legacy um, grants. You know, it's $2 million to put that program in all LAUSD elementary schools. Hmm. And we just can't find the resource or the focus, you know, to do that as a matter of policy, yet we know the program works and it actually is a resource to the teachers and the students are having joy from that. So I'd answer the question, um, you know, simply with this, is there a a ton of examples of great programs that are using sport play movement to anchor students in joy and to improve outcomes in the classroom. We're just not doing it scale um, in a way that is sustaining over the long term. And I think that's ultimately the work that Play Equity Fund is looking to do in the college football playoff is one example. How can we shine a light on these educators using these innovative programs that aren't expensive, um, that aren't difficult to implement within the school day? And then how can we share those as examples um, and match those with funding to sustain those in the schools, in this case of the violence bike is one example. Got it. Thank you. Thank you for this work and for uplifting these opportunities. 
we're happy to share these on our site so people can link to these videos. I think you've painted a really great picture and it's always great to see um, them uh, have the teachers actually share their stories. So I'm just going to shift gears a little bit here. I'd love to hear about what your own uh, K-12 educational experience was like. It was a good experience. I mean, I was, I was a public school kid. Uh, I played sports. You know, it's interesting. We're talking about, you know, the lack of access to sport, play and movement in schools. And I can remember in middle school, you know, we actually ran and, you know, played, you know, games and, you know, it was sort of tied to physical literacy and all that. But, you know, my goal was not to sweat in middle school PE because <laughs> I didn't want to take the showers and those, you know, sort of big showers. And so, yes. you know, I was sort of athletic and, and I would love to run around, but I was like, don't run too much because then I don't want to have to take a shower. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I had, I guess, a decent um a decent K through 12 experience, but I do have to say if it wasn't for my love of sports, I played basketball and then ultimately tennis. Um, you know, like many kids in the communities that we serve, you know, sport for me was the reason I showed up for school. You know, I was okay. I was an okay student. Um, you know, I had, I had teachers who cared, you know, they tried to make it, you know, inspiring and innovative, but you know, school wasn't my thing. And again, if it hadn't been for, you know, being on the basketball team and ultimately being on the tennis team and sport wanting to show up to support my team. I don't know that I would have, um, you know, made it through high school. I have a lot to be thankful for sports in my life, mm -hmm. that it really kept me anchored and engaged to school. And, you know, as many students, athletes um, who might be listening, realize that you have to get a certain GPA to continue to be on the team. So that was certainly a motivating factor for me. Um, you know, to focus on my academics. You know, I ultimately did well and, you know, went on to college and got a graduate degree. So I'm thankful for my um, public education in LAUSD schools and certainly sports, you know, helped me stay connected. The Annenberg Learner Podcast is supported in part by Abre. Get real-time insights into what's working and what's not with K-12's number one modern data solution, Abre. Learn more today at abre.io. That's A-B-R-E dot I-O. Uh, this question we ask everyone, what are you reading, watching, or listening to these days? Um, I'm not watching anything because I'm pretty busy of these dates, but I picked up a book just recently on my travels in the airport, and it's The Curse of Bigness, Antitrust and the New Gilded Age. And uh, it sounds like a really boring book. He's a professor at Columbia Law School. Tim Wu is an incredible writer, and it's uh, about the inequities, uh, inequalities, the sort of wealth gap that exists. Um, and I think the power imbalance between government, big business, and community, um, he compares where we are today uh, to the gilded age of the early 20th century. Um, it's a fascinating read. I've been enjoying it. Wow, great. Thank you. We'll link that in our, in our notes as well. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share with the learner audience before we sign off today? Yes. If you care about um, sport play and movement, if you want to figure out a way to get involved and to help support you know, the tremendous number of organizations and educators doing incredible work to, you know, anchor sport plan movement for the joy that it brings to young people and the connections to academics, you know, find ways to get involved. Thank you. Such a pleasure, Renata. Thank you so much. No, Nancy, thank you. It was a pleasure to be with you today. 
The Annenberg Learner Podcast joins the catalog of multimedia professional learning content to support educators teaching in more effective ways. Annenberg Learner is the education division of the Annenberg Foundation. Learner supports the foundation's mission to encourage the development of more effective ways to share ideas and knowledge. Go to learner.org or contact us at podcast at learner.org.